Hi, this is State Delegate Mark Corman, and from Wisconsin Avenue and District 16 to Pratt Street in Baltimore to the Boardwalk on the Eastern Shore and everywhere in between, Conduit Street Podcast is the go-to source for news about Maryland politics and policy. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, we are here recording on Wednesday, November 11th. We are remote. COVID cases are spiking across the state. I hope you and the family are doing well. Everybody's okay here. We're doing our best to stay safe, and I hope all of our neighbors and friends are doing the same thing. Uh, I'm back from the home front recording remotely. Uh, We're, you know, instead of being the director, my main title here is Dad. And that makes me makes me think that I'm a little sad that our listeners have not really come to my defense and, and issued a hue and cry for more dad jokes. I mean, it is what it is. I understand. But I, I can't say that I'm not like a tiny bit hurt by that. But that's it's OK. I'll be all right. The listeners may have decided it's it's enough of the dad jokes, but we'll, we'll wait and see. <laughs> This week, we are very excited to have with us a special guest, Jennifer Dierksen with Davenport & Company, and we are going to talk about a very, very exciting topic, bond ratings. Wait, wait, hold on. You you said that like like you were being sarcastic. You don't think bond ratings are exciting? I mean, this is good stuff. We do, and I think actually, you know, our listeners will as well. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your firm, Davenport & Company? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, just a little bit about me. I, you know, grew up in Maryland, went to um, College Park grad and then the Maxwell School at Syracuse and got my MPA. I've pretty much been working in the public finance arena for about 16 years now, originally on the federal government side, um, but switched to state and local governments 10 or so years ago. Uh, and it's been good. I have worked at Moody's, a rating agency, um, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about later. Um, but I am currently at Davenport and Company. I joined about four years ago um, and work as a financial advisor, which has been great. I work in their public finance department, which is focused on providing financial advisory services to our public sector clients. Um, We view ourselves as an extension of our clients, um, not just transactionally focused, but also provide other services such as, you know, analytical advice, advice on credit ratings, as well as planning and investment consulting. We do have four professionals, including myself, that are located in Maryland and dedicated to state and local governments within Maryland. Um, And we have experience working with the state as well as a majority of the Maryland counties um, and seven of the 10 largest cities within the state. We also have uh, are located in Towson, so it allows us to respond rapidly to our clients within the state on any emerging issues, um, and we're available also on short notice for any in-person meetings um, as well. Just a little bit about me and, and what uh, you know Davenport is sort of about within the state of Maryland. Well, I, I, I appreciate that, uh, Jennifer, and I'll also say, um, Really happy to have uh, Davenport as an ally of the Maryland Association of Counties in a lot of ways. 
uh, for our listeners who are regulars at Mako's conferences and events. Uh, Davenport has been a familiar face at lots of things that we have hosted and held over the years. Uh, Davenport's been a go-to resource for quite a lot of our county governments. So this has been a pretty long-term partnership and we've worked on specific projects together uh, you know, face-to-face, but, but Davenport has been there for Maryland counties over the years. I'll also say though, part of why we are interested in having you join us for this conversation about credit rating and bond ratings was your mention of a prior gig of yours working with Moody's. So can, can you give us a, a minute or so on what Moody's does and where they fit into the world of credit ratings? Sure. Um, so Moody's is one of the three national rating agencies. The other two are S&P and Fitch. Um, and Moody's assigns credit ratings to governments to reflect that government's willingness and ability to meet their financial obligations um, and just let the investor know what the likelihood uh, would be that they could potentially default on any debt that they issue in the public market. So as an analyst, when a local government would come in and be issuing bonds um, to fund any capital projects, I, when I was at Moody's, would conduct a credit review to help assign a rating to those bonds so investors could utilize those, as I mentioned. Okay. So so this sets the stage, I think, pretty well for the conversation we wanted to have today. And for our listeners, I think you're hearing what we wanted, that we're lucky to have Jennifer, who knows the world of public finance and understands this kind of stuff, but also can actually speak English that most of us are able to navigate through. So that is a really helpful skill set. Happy to have you Kind of, I don't think today is going to be a super high level. This isn't a master class sort of uh, conversation we want to have, but I don't know, maybe one of the like the black and yellow books, the public finance for dummies kind of thing. (laughs) Does that sound okay? That sounds perfect. Okay, so let's start with the basics then. A lot of us have heard about bond ratings. You mentioned them earlier. They sound a bit like letter grades in school. We know that A is good, C, not so good. And instead of A+, we have stuff like AAA here in Maryland. So Jennifer, let's set this up a bit. When does the state of Maryland or a county go out and get a bond rating like this? And and why is it so important? Sure. Um, So a local government or the state would go out and get a rating if they were looking to publicly issue debt in the municipal market. You know, and they would be doing that to um, basically get funding for various capital projects that they're looking to do, whether that be, you know, schools, roads, et cetera, um, any sort of public purpose project that needs to be financed. The ratings that are assigned on publicly issued debt um, would help those governments secure the lowest cost of financing to fund those capital needs. As I mentioned before, those ratings assigned signal to investors how much of a risk they are taking when buying a particular bond. And the higher the rating, the less risky the investment and the better interest rate that you're going to get. So I I guess the theory is it's probably too much work for the average investor, even an institutional investor, to go through you know, in, I guess, you know, in the, in the corporate world, we'd call it a prospectus, I guess in the government world, we call it an official statement, but you know, the, the issuing documents for a set of bonds, the, the, the state of Maryland goes to the bond market, 
and says, we need you know, $200 million in, in receipts because we want to do these various projects, to, to leaf through all that paperwork to come up with a lot of deep details on how do things look in the state of Maryland, that's a lot to ask of investors. So they sort of rely on companies like Moody's and Standard and & Poor's and Fitch, they're names we've all heard of. Uh, we count on them to sort of do that work issue their overall ratings and say, we've done the analysis, we know what we're doing, we kicked the tires on the state of Maryland, and we found them to be, well, at least in our state, AAA, right? Yeah. So that's that's kind of how this works, is it's a proxy on behalf of the eventual investors. Correct. Yeah. And, I, you know, the rating agencies will also produce reports as well, um, short reports that um, the investors can review and sort of give the highlights of the credit, um, which is also important, you know, when they're making a decision whether or not to, you know, buy a particular government's bond. So that is is also, you know, the ultimate goal, aside from the rating itself, is the report that's very helpful to municipal investors. And we know that the state and the counties actually go up to New York, correct? And they present to these three rating agencies. They sort of put it all out there, put it on the table, a deep dive into a county or the state. And again, that's that's really important for an investor who may be looking to buy some of these bonds. Yes, that's correct. Um, so, you know, the state and the counties definitely have um, a choice as to how they, um, you know, sort of conduct their meeting with the rating agencies. I would say the majority of them either go up or have the rating agencies down um, for a visit. Um, and they will put together typically a credit presentation, which highlights sort of the main points um, that the credit rating agencies are looking for. Uh, and so, you know, if for some reason they did not want to do an in-person meeting, um, then the rating agencies are happy to have a call as well. Um, and sometimes when you have a call, they'll also provide, you can ask them for questions in advance, which can also be helpful. And you can imagine that, you know, since March and, you know, the COVID pandemic, um, we've been doing all of our meetings with the rating agencies through, you know, either, you know, conference calls or virtual calls, you know, on the computer. I would have to think that that's probably a meaningful dent in the uh, local economy up near up and around Wall Street. The, you know, the steakhouses and their shrimp cocktails and so <laughs> forth. Uh, their you know, triple martini dinners are probably suffering. Uh, I feel really badly for them. Yes, yes. Uh, so and yeah, and the rating agencies, they haven't uh, decided when they are actually going back to their offices at this point. Um, a lot of them had to have said spring 2021. Um, so for at least the, the near term, uh, we are looking at continuing just calls. Um, but overall, the calls have been going well. And, you know, no issuer within Maryland has had any negative rating impacts as a result of COVID to date. So that is positive. I guess if if you live in Maryland, if you're a reader of the Conduit Street blog, which I'm hopeful that many of our listeners are, uh, you're you're probably used to seeing uh, something like a bond rating show up as a headline, right? Um, you know, Charles County gets its AAA bond rating reaffirmed, or um, or the state of Maryland has its AAA bond rating reaffirmed, that sort of thing. So that makes a nice headline, right? That 
that sounds very much like like Kevin mentioned. It sounds like the grade card. Um, grade A sounds good. Triple A must be three times as good. I mean, it's America, so why not more? Sure, but um, I mean, when I was when I was a kid, I'd get an A on my report card, and and my mom would take me out to ice cream. Walk us through sort of you know what's in it beyond a good headline for a government getting a good credit report. I mean, it's got to be more to it. You you mentioned interest rates. That's the connection that matters here, right? Correct. Um, you know, it, just for a little bit of background, um, as you sort of alluded to, um, the credit rating scale um, goes all the way from AAA, which is the highest, all the way down to C, which is the lowest. Um, the governments in Maryland are highly rated, usually in the AAA, AA, single A category. So very high grade credit ratings. Um, and really, you know, a, aside from, you know, just holding those credit ratings, it, it is really the interest rate that you're going to get as a result of holding those high grade credit ratings that's going to benefit the the government because the lower the interest rate, the less debt service you're going to pay on the bonds that you're issuing. And ultimately, that provides a local government additional financial flexibility. Um, in their budget. And ultimately saving taxpayers money as well when you're able to get those lower interest rates. And we all know right now about the power of lower interest rates. It's pretty obvious to anyone who is buying a home or trying to refinance their mortgage. The interest rates are great. Yes. And same with local governments. The rates are at historical lows and we've had a number of clients that have taken advantage of these interest rates in the market, not only for new money uh, projects, but also uh, refunding of bonds that are already outstanding for lower interest rates. So just like a refinancing of a mortgage. You made a mention of something and I wanted to follow up on it because it might not be obvious to some of our listeners. You mentioned Maryland and our local governments being unusually, you know, dense with good credit ratings. So I confess, like, you know, I, I see I see the stuff that, that Kevin and his colleagues from the MAKO staff write on the blog. And when we write about credit ratings, it frequently is triple A's and double A's and highly regarded, you know, highly credit worthy entities, especially for their size. Um, if if we were in another state, I don't want to you know name another state like <laughs> Illinois or something like that. But if if we were in a different state, um, is it uh, is it the case that we would see a wider array and maybe fewer of these triple A's in other places that may not have the same track record as we do in Maryland? Yes, that's true. Um, you know, overall, I would say sort of the Maryland, Virginia area tend to be highly, um, there, there tend to be a, a lot of AAA rated or highly rated credits um, within those states in particular. You know, across the nation, the median rating is about a a double A three, which is about three notches off of the triple A. Um, so you're going to see more of a variety. Um, in addition, there are local governments that have taken more of a hit due to COVID, those that are reliant on sales taxes and such. Um, so you've seen a lot of negative credit pressure um, in those mm. particular areas. Um, and while Maryland has, you know, income tax so far, you know, at least to date, income tax has, has still remained pretty strong. 
But, you know, it's obviously something that the credit rating agencies are watching and, and a lot of their questions have revolved around COVID and the impact that that's had on, on uh, a government's financial operations. Okay, so, so there's, there's a few things that seem to collectively play in as part of the picture of creditworthiness. I mean, I mean, you know, since we have you here and it's just us with, you know, just a few listeners <laughs> out there. I, I, so, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not asking you to, to spill any, you know, important trade secrets, but c- can you kind of walk us through what, what really matters in the eyes of the bond rating agencies and those who are trying to assess creditworthiness. I mean, you made a mention of looking at tax revenues and their predictability or stability. Can you can you kind of give us that frame of reference? What are the when you were doing that analysis for a given local government or state government, you know, what are the big pillars that you're building around there? So there's four main pillars um, that a credit analyst will look at. Um, the first one is economy, looking at you know tax base, wealth levels. Um, second is finances, so looking at reserves and cash position. Third is debt, so that includes you know debt outstanding as well as you know other long-term liabilities. Uh, and then finally management, so looking at financial management policies. Um, so within there, I would say, you know, as an analyst, the first thing that an analyst is is going to look at are reserve levels. Um, it's the most important credit metric that, you know, is considered during a rating committee. Um, and they'll look at what the trend is for those reserves, where they are compared to, um, you know, b- their peers and, you know, similar uh, governments with similar ratings, medians. And so, interestingly enough, um, in Maryland, uh, reserves tend to be lower than both, uh, you know, the national median. That being said, the economy and management scores sort of outweigh the lower reserves. So just something that, uh, you know, local governments have to sort of be aware of. And we've definitely talked to our clients. And it also sort of ties into financial policies as well that a local government might adopt. All right. So there's multiple components that, that matter there. Part, I mean, I guess it sounds like part of that is within your control as a local government leader. And some of it in the short term, at least, is not necessarily so. Like the overall economy and the nature of your workforce and, and major employers, that you don't necessarily have a handle on, but you can have a debt policy or a reserve policy that's sensible and predictable, and those things are, are worth some points. Correct, yes. And, you know, and and sort of finding the balance between all of those factors as well. So let's say you had a higher debt burden. One way you could potentially offset that is, you know, if you had higher reserves, and and so it's just looking at the factors as a whole. And, and what we sort of recommend is, you know, every few years that the local governments sort of assess their credit rating and really look at what their strengths and challenges are um, in those four main rating factors that I talked about before. Um, and then sort of talk about a plan to address any challenges that are identified um, to help keep those credit ratings strong and make sure they're maintained. And we often hear full faith and credit so we know that the ability to raise revenues plays a big part in this, but talk a little bit about full faith and credit. If, if a county is willing to do that or the state, what does that mean for an investor and for the ratings agencies? 
So um, that's what the rating agencies call a general obligation pledge, um, and it's 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 one of the strongest pledges. Um, it's it's just basically stating that a local government uh, pledges to raise their ad valorem taxes to pay for the debt service on the bonds that they've issued. That's part of how the rating agencies um, ultimately decide on a rating. The security obviously plays into it and will decide on what rating methodology um, the rating agencies will use. And the four main factors that I was talking about play into that general obligation, full faith and credit pledge. Okay, so we've gone through bonds. We've talked about why they matter, what these ratings agencies are looking for when they issue these bonds. We'll take a break here. When we come back, we'll dig in a little bit more and we'll shift from short term to long term. All that and more after the break. Hey, Conduit Street fans. We just got through audit season and I bet many of your governments are sitting on a long term liability for retiree health insurance. Many counties and cities are looking for a solution to help them save today's funds towards tomorrow's costs. MAKO has created a cost-saving investment trust service for counties, libraries, community colleges, and our municipal friends as well. If you join the MAKO Investment Trust, you share all the overhead costs with multiple participants, you gain access to an A-team of investment and fiscal advisors, and you benefit from a portfolio designed around your needs. For more information, click on the links in the show notes for this episode. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson and Jennifer Dierkson. Michael and Jennifer, on the front half, we talked about bonds, the importance of bond ratings, what it means not only for governments and their constituents, but also how the ratings are compiled, what is important, what matters. Let's shift a little bit more into long term. And Michael, you want to get into OPEB. We can talk a little bit about that, but why don't you set this up? What is important when it comes to long-term liability, why it matters, and how it relates to the short-term stuff, but also what's different? Yeah, it struck me as Jennifer was speaking about sort of the pillars of assessing the creditworthiness of a government that's coming to the bond market. I guess the obvious part is, oh, you have a track record of paying your bills? Oh, good. Good on you, right? I mean, that same thing happens to me. My personal personal credit rating matters when I want to go buy a new car or a new home or something. You do a credit check, you find out what my score is and so forth. And if I've been late paying my bills or not very trustworthy, then I get dinged for that. If I do a good job, I get benefit for that. It seems like it works basically the same way for for governments as issuers or as borrowers. I guess I'm, I'm interested in exploring a little bit more about longer term issues that aren't as simple as, you know, did you meet the payroll? Did you, did you pay off the debt service on the last round of bonds that you borrowed? That seems like the obvious stuff. But governments notoriously have some long-term obligations and costs that sit on their balance sheet and you don't necessarily tend to those in the short term directly. I mean, the most obvious thing I'm thinking of are pension funds where you know, we've made a pledge. Uh, a lot of our employees are going to leave uh, employment with a pension and we're going to pay that for X number of years and X number of dollars. And we set aside money for that, but we haven't paid for it exactly today. So, Jennifer, can you kind of put that into context too? those longer term obligations? 
Yeah, no, I think you hit on a very important point there. Um, you know, the rating agencies a few years ago had made some changes and they started looking at what is called fixed costs. And just to sort of explain that a little bit, fixed costs um, are looking at uh, local government's debt service payments, as well as annual contributions to OPEB and pensions. And this formula is really trying to get at what percentage of your of local government's budget is taken up by fixed costs. And the higher that that percentage is, the less flexibility that a local government has. And so that's taken into account during rating committee. In terms of pensions, uh, they do like to see payment, a full payment of what they call the actuarial determined contribution, um, which is you know determined by the actuary. Uh, and if they don't make the full payment for their pension, that will definitely be something that's discussed and mentioned in the report um, and taken mm-hmm. into consideration, um, you know, negatively uh, when, you know, when the rating is, is determined. So I, I guess, I guess trying to understand that term fixed costs, I guess in government terms, you know, if, if a county government is having a difficult budget year you can say we're going to shut down this park and reduce some of those costs or we'll, we, we won't have the libraries open on Saturday and we'll reduce those costs. There are some operating costs that you can make an operational decision and change the amount that you spend on that function. But some things like your long-term obligation for pension and the like, those things and, and debt service, those things are fixed. You, you can't flip a switch and make those go away for this year. So I guess that's fundamentally what what the difference is between a so-called fixed cost and a more ordinary component in your annual budgeting. Yeah, no. And debt service and pensions particularly are looked upon as a sort of hard cost. OPEB, you know, from a rating agency standpoint, more a softer liability, if you will. They look favorably upon, you know, making progress as towards funding that OPEB liability. But if for some reason, let's say, you know, during COVID, uh, a local government needed some financial flexibility, um, you know, cutting back on OPEB a little bit is not going to necessarily hurt a county's or, you know, city's credit rating um, as long as they restore that funding fairly quickly, if you will. You know, there's a little bit of latitude there on the OPEB side. In addition to the old school pension systems, and and you've mentioned OPEB, and of course OPEB is other post-employment benefits, it seems like there's a parallel here with retiree health care. Many employers have made promises to their employees that they'll provide them health care after they're done with that career. Does that sort of fit the same way? It's sort of a softer liability. Um, So they're looking for local governments to be contributing more than just a PAYGO contribution. Um, But you know, if for some reason there is a need, we haven't seen as much of a hit from, you know, a rating standpoint. Whereas if you didn't fund fully fund pensions, I think there's more of a negative connotation um, and impact on the rating overall um, from that standpoint. But but I, I, I guess there is a parallel and 
seems like it's been more than a decade since the accounting standards boards started to tell governments and, and I guess other employers, hey, if you've been promising people health care, you, you really should be treating that as a long-term liability. That should show up in your financial, you know, it should show up in the book someplace that you've made those promises. Even if today you're doing it pay as you go, the trend should be treat it like a pension, book it like a long-term liability. And if that means start acting today towards the, the, the costs you're going to face down the road, then that's the right direction to be heading. That's very much correct. Um, and, and overall, I would say that, you know, the local governments in Maryland have been fairly pretty proactive in funding their OPEB liability. Uh, so, you know, that's been seen positively by the credit rating agencies on, on the whole. One way to, to make sure that these liabilities are covered is to create a special trust fund for that sort of a purpose, right? Get the money out of the annual budget process, move it into a special trust that can't be grabbed, that money can't be spent right away, invest the money for the long term in stocks, bonds, so forth. So that, that seems like the, a really clear path to make sure that you're covered here. I'll jump in and say to, to take a moment to spotlight an area where, where Jennifer and her firm, Davenport & Company, along with Mako, we work together to try and serve the local government community in this particular area. We saw a need here. I mean, that, that idea of, well, you know, setting up a, a trust, that's a bunch of legal documents and a bunch of paperwork. Uh, you're going to have to hire financial advisors and lawyers and so forth. And that sounds pretty intimidating, especially if you're a relatively small county or a municipality or even just a component. Like, what about a library board? You know, they might have a, a, an issue like this, but the overheads could seem daunting. So Mako pulled together basically a cooperative investment trust to say, if you want to do this, but you'd like to have a plug and play option, we'll put something together and we can just sort of split up all those overhead costs among the multiple members and just, you know, save money and do this wisely together we needed a partner to help make that work efficiently. And Davenport, no surprise, uh, came to the rescue and has helped us sort of administer and manage uh, that, that effort. So Jennifer, you've played a role with Mako's OPEB Investment Trust. I'd be happy to have you, you know, tell us a little bit about the role you all play, but also you know, from, from the financial perspective, the function of having a trust like this. Davenport uh, does act as administrator for the OPEB Trust, um, and we do handle all of the tedious tasks for all of our members. Um, we do all of sort of the compliance and oversight, you know, setting up and running the quarterly meetings um, and keeping the books that are ultimately used for the annual audit. Um, you know, the system that we've set up, we just want it to sort of run seamlessly and be easy for Mako OPEB Trust members. I think that, you know, We've really put a, together a, a top-notch team, and I think everyone that is a member of the OPEB Trust has benefited um, from joining, uh, and particularly from a rating standpoint in funding you know, those long-term OPEB liabilities. Yeah, I, I think um, I'm really proud of the service that we've offered to member counties on this front. And I, I would say one, one added benefit 
of joining the trust like this is we have a fair number of member counties and units who are themselves relatively small. And if, if you go to the market and say, well, we want to invest our $200,000, you can get someone to do that. But big hitters don't really want to play with $200,000 accounts. But if you get 10 or 15 or 20 or someday 50 different units from across the state of Maryland who all chip in together and we're part of one big trust, we can bring together, you know, we can bring together that serious team and uh, we'll get bigger players and more serious advisors. And whether you need, you know, investment strategy or actuarial services or any, any other sort of thing like that. Um, we can we can bring them together just because the promise of this is going to be the statewide entity. I like that. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, the membership also benefits given that the OPEB trust has continued to grow. Any fees that that they would need to pay have continued to sort of decline over time as as the trust has has gotten bigger. So it's been a benefit to those members that wouldn't have been able to participate in, in something similar on their own. Um, and the team in general is is has been great to work with. Uh, GYL Financial Synergies is our investment advisor. Um, they've been there since the inception of the Mako OPEB Trust, um, and they have a great track record in this area and have been responsive to the needs of the board members. Um, we also work with Wilmington Trust as trustee. Um, Boomer Shine is actuarial advice. And then we have McGuire Woods with our legal expertise to make sure we're keeping in line with the laws and legislation uh, in Maryland and CLA um, does our audits. So overall, it's, it's really a top-notch team. And, and really, I think the most important thing is that the members seem pleased um, with the result of the OPEB trust, and it just continues to grow. We will put all of this information on the MAKO OPEB trust in the show notes. And hopefully you're, you're listening and you've heard enough to at least ask, are we doing that in my county? Because you probably should be doing that. And Jennifer, we've covered a lot. Is there anything else on your mind to share with all of the bright people who hear up front that this episode is going to be about bond ratings and they say, yes, I am in, and they've listened all the way, they've gone through all of this. Any other insight that you want to share with the folks who have made it all the way here today? <laughs> um, the only other thing that I would uh, just want to mention is Rating agencies tend to have hot topics. They change over time. Uh, so some of the hot topics that we've seen other than COVID, um, obviously they've been asking how that's impacting financial operations um, and asking about CARES funding that's been received and income tax trends. Um, the other two areas that they've also will ask about um, is cybersecurity, you know, whether a government has insurance, um, if they've had any attacks, um, you know, what sort of training do they do? Uh, that it, that has been a major topic over the last year or two, as well as um, climate change and emergency preparedness. So, um, you know, if 
a government is located, you know, on the water or deals with, you know, flooding issues, uh, they will, you know, want to inquire about what's being done about that, um, as well as if there is an emergency preparedness plan in place and what that entails. So those are some of the the recent hot topics that the rating agencies have been looking at and, and something I would recommend, you know, addressing during credit presentations or discussions with the rating agencies. So a, a little bit bigger than just, you know, here's the balance sheet, but also putting your government and your community in context. And, you know, are you are you checking the boxes and, and taking best practices, not just in your financial accounting and your, mm-hmm. your, your tax rates and so forth, but also thinking about resilience in, in a variety of ways. It's probably a sensible ingredient for, for you know, the folks at, at the bond houses. It makes sense. Correct. Well, well, Jennifer, I want to say both uh, thanks to you personally for spending some time with us on the podcast. And I think this conversation is is helpful for our audience, but also thanks very much for for what you and your colleagues at Davenport do for Maryland counties, bringing your financial expertise uh, as they prepare for those trips, virtual or in person, uh, to to meet with the bond houses and and to make sure that they're engaging in wise and best practices, and also for your support of the investment trust. That's that's a service we're very proud of. No, thank you for having me, and and we really appreciate our relationship with Mako and, and your members. Thank you so much, Jennifer. We'll put all of the information when it comes to the OPEB trust as well as Davenport in the show notes, but we'll leave it there for today. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all of these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then, of course, the Conduit Street blog. But for Jennifer and Michael, this is Kevin signing off, and we will talk to you soon.